All right, so real quickly before we get started, just one announcement. Um, so if you saw it on the way in, we have life group signups uh, that are in conference room A. We'll be talking about a little bit about it um, during the message of kind of the importance of being in a life group or being in community um, here at Life Church. So, but no, I'll remind you again after the service, but just know that that's out there. You'll be a part of it. Since you came to the second service, you missed out on the 300 moon pies that somebody uh, donated. So there's a bunch of them out there. And I walked out after the service. I'm like, sure, they didn't take them all. And they're like, oh, no, they were all gone, you know, <laughs> in the first service. So somebody donated and wanted to give away to the church. So they're all gone. So anyway, you have the life group signups. All right, so let's talk about does prayer work? Why are we in the series? You know, uh, what are we talking about? And what can we learn from this idea of does prayer work? So if you're here for the first time, again, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you've come uh, to be with us. But if you want to catch up on the messages, you can go back on our website or on our app, and you can watch the previous messages as we address this question. Does prayer work from this standpoint? So many of you in your life have been with somebody who has asked you to pray. You know, there's something significant in their life, and you've asked, somebody's asked you, will you pray with me? So you pray with them or pray over something, right, and or for yourself. You've had an opportunity, you want something to change in your life, and you've prayed about it, but I think you know of somebody or it's you where you prayed and it didn't change. Is that fair to say? Like I prayed about something and it didn't change. And the question always comes back up. Did it not change because he didn't hear? Did it not change because I didn't do it right? Did it not change because I said it wrong? Did it not change? Ultimately, you start to throw this around in your mind because prayer doesn't really work. <laughs> right? Like I, I prayed about it, but what I wanted to change never works and then the more that you have those circumstances in life, the more you wonder, right, if you're honest. The more you wonder, is he hearing? And if he's hearing, why isn't he answering, right? Why isn't he intervening and why isn't he doing something different? Now, we've talked about multiple different ways to pray, different prayers that you can use. But today I want to talk to you about a prayer, um, and it's called the Gethsemane Prayer. And it's called the Gethsemane Prayer because it happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you can turn to Luke 22, and I'll explain to you what the Gethsemane Prayer is around and why it's deemed the war prayer, right? Or the prayer, you know, uh, that we can engage into to battle over, right? And so in uh, all of the Gospels, it talks about the Gethsemane prayer, which is Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he goes to the cross and dies. Now, here's what's so significant about the Gethsemane prayer, and this is why we need to look at it and, and be able to study it and understand it, because here's what everybody in the room should know if you don't already know. Satan has a plan specifically for every Opportunity, opportunity that he can in your life to derail you, okay? Now, for some of you, that's to derail you away from Christ in a relationship with him. For some of you, that's to derail your current relationship with Christ and kind of move you, you know, off into a different place or to derail you in a way where you just wonder where you stand with God. But he has a plan, and here's what he knows, that he can use the circumstances of life, the things that are going on in your life today, and he can use those things 
to derail you if you don't go to war against him, right? If you don't push back against him on those circumstances of life or those types of things. So I'm going to teach you today from a couple different perspectives. Some of you right now today are at war, right? And you need to understand how to battle through. You need to understand what it is that God, you know, tells us to do when it comes to these prayers of warfare against what Satan's trying to do in our lives. And some of you need to come alongside of other people in this room that are in the midst of a war, right? And so what does it look like from the perspective of those who are struggling and for those who come alongside? Now, I want to explain it to you in, in a way because for some of you, this is, this is how it gets and how you get to the place of the Gethsemane prayer. So most of us in life have had things that are like, yeah, I want to pray about it. And some more significant than others, right? Like we have certain things that we pray about, but we just have this confidence that the outcome is going to be good, right? Like you pray, but you just have this confidence that it's, that it's going to turn out well. And so you pray, and you pray with a confidence, and you pray that, you know, the outcome is going to be good, and you continue to do those things, but then you get to this place where you pray, and you're not sure the outcome's going to be the what you want, right? And you pray, and you fear that the outcome that's going to happen, or you fear that the outcome that's going to come from this is something that could possibly derail you, right? That if something doesn't change, so you know how you go along, and you're praying inside of your marriage, and you want your relationship to get better, and so you're praying, you know, that those things that get better, and then you get to that point where if this prayer doesn't work, and things don't change, it's going to get ugly, right? The outcome of it all is just going to get ugly, or you're praying for your kids, and you know you've been praying for them all the time, and you've been praying along the road, but they've been making some decisions, and then you get to that point if something doesn't change, if, they, if this doesn't change in their life, the outcome of this is going to derail them and possibly derail me if something happens to my children who I love, right? Like, whatever those things are, you get to those moments in life. And like, when I was preparing this, this is something Sarah and I talked about this week, like, the idea of, you know, with, with Sherry, she had been sick for a long time, right? So you prayed, you know, and she would have melanoma and be like we pray but the outcome's going to be good right they're just going to take it off and you're going to be better she had a brain tumor but it's a brain tumor that they can take out and they don't it's not invasive she had kidney cancer but you don't have to take the whole kidney out you know so every time these were like things that you're praying about but the outcome right like you're you're the outcome is it's not like it's going to derail you like we're going to see god come through because you knew inside of you like something's going to come through and then i, I never forget when Sherry's in Parkview North, uh, we had to take her to IU, and at this point, they had said, you know, you got problems, and it's not good, but never really state kind of what doctors do. I don't know if they always tell you, you know, how good or bad it is, and so they give me, they're transporting her to IU. I get the report, and I have to give the report to the doctors that are down there. Well, at this point, they had said, yeah, you, you know, this isn't good, and we think it's this, but not really telling you what it is until she got to IU, so I start reading the report. I read the report, and in the report, it says she has stage four mesophilioma in her lungs, in her stomach, and that her whole around all of her hips is full of cancer. And I'm like, and at that point, I can remember I called Lance Clark, and I'm like, this just can't be. You know what I mean? Like, you get to that moment, 
You know, does anybody fall? Like you just get to these moments where you're praying these things and the outcome, right? Does anybody like pray these prayers and just thought, God, this just cannot be right. And the outcome of this has a chance to derail me or to grow my faith, right? Like it's one or the other. Like the, how this turns out, you know, and all the, and, and you just want to go to war because you know these things. And I've watched this happen. Right? I have watched people go down these roads, pray for these types of things, and when the outcome was not what they wanted, they didn't walk away from God, they just stopped being involved with God. Have you seen that before? Right? Like that might be you, like you had a, something happened in your life, and you just kind of took a hiatus because you're like, this is crazy. Like you were on fire and things were good and you were going down this road and then all of a sudden this interruption of life happened and when the interruption of life happened, you're like, I'm out for a bit. Like I'm just, I mean, I don't even want to say I'm out for a bit, right? And so what we want to do is we want to talk about how Jesus came to the same place, right? So when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he was going to that, okay, you know, remember Jesus in all the times that he was growing up, here's the thing that we knew. He knew the cross was coming. Right? Like he knew the cross was coming. He knew the punishment was coming. He knew he was going to have to hang on a cross. He knew that he was going to have to get killed. But I think he, like all of us, you just kind of get busy with life until, you know, it's like, okay, now it's real. Right? Like, did you ever th- think about that? I mean, I know Jesus is God, but there's also this human part that he was pretty busy going around and he was preaching the gospel and he was talking to people. And, he, and then all of a sudden, right, he gets to the Last Supper and he sits in an upper room with all these guys and he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. And all of a sudden it's becoming real. And not only is it becoming real, think about this. Not only is his death becoming real, but what the other thing that's becoming real is all of his friends that he's invested all of his life in are going to be gone in the morning. You know what I mean? Like inside of you, in the moments where you are the most challenged is when you want surrounded by the most people. And he had to look at the faces of all these guys that he's poured three years into, knowing that the next day they're all going to be gone. Knowing that the next day he's going to have to suffer in ways that unimaginable to a human being. Like he, had, he knew all of those things were coming. So all of the sudden, it becomes real, right? Like it is in our own lives. It becomes real, the gravity of the situation. The gravity of this situation that Jesus is, is responding in a way you can put whatever spin you want on it, that there's a little anxiety there. The things to come have brought anxiety into the life of Jesus, and he is at a point where what do you do when you get to those places in life? What do you do? All right, so Jesus is going to give us an example. What do you do, the one that is struggling, and what should the friends of people do for the person that's struggling? Because here's what you're going to see, right? Like, we're going to, we're going to see this, because I think for people that are struggling, it's hard to know how to respond. But you know what's even harder? How to respond to a person that's struggling. What do you say? You know what I mean? Like, well, God works out all things for the good of those who believe. Right? You know what I mean, though, right? Like, you just don't know. And, and I'm not even blaming people. Like, what do you say to those people that are in those moments? And so what we're going to see is, how did the disciples respond? What is it that Jesus wanted them to learn in the process? Because some of you are going to be in that position. 
Some of you are going to be in the position of being with somebody who's struggling, so how do you respond to it? All right, so let's look at Luke 22, starting in verse 39, and, and we'll go through and process this, uh, the war uh, prayer of Gethsemane. Starting in verse 39, it says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So here's a couple things that we want to look at right away. So Jesus automatically, in a time of, of, of struggle, knew what to do, right? This was a habit, right? His habit was to what? Pray, right? So in the good times of life, the habit of Jesus takes over in the struggling times of life. So first of all, for each one of us, if you don't have a habit of praying, it's going to be a struggle that all of a sudden when, when all of these trials come in to just jump up and be like, oh yeah, the first thing I'm going to do is pray, right? So he, he's saying, like I've always done, I'm going to go to the Mount of Olives and I'm going to pray. Like I'm going to push into what's normal for me and, and, and push into the things that I've normally seen. And he's going to prepare right? This is what he's doing. He's preparing for war, right? This is what he's doing. When you see him go to the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what he knows, right? And this is something we can all think about. Jesus knows that the two greatest tragedies of life are about to happen. They haven't happened yet, but they're about to happen, right? And he recognizes that these are going to be the two things that Satan's going to try to use to derail me, right? So the reason I say that, this is important. Satan knows you, and he knows your struggles, and he will try to derail you in those places, right? He knows those things in your life. So he knew, right, when it came to the temptation of Jesus, there were going to be two things that were going to be on his mind that were going to be at the forefront. Here's the first one, right? The first one is this. The only time in his life was coming up that he was going to be separated from the Father, just think about that. Like, I know that we just kind of pass it over, like, oh, Jesus, you know, separated from the... Jesus' only desire was to be with the Father and do whatever the Father told him to do. So the thought of hanging on a cross where he would be left alone without Jesus, now I want you to process, or without God, I want you to process this. He so much valued his relationship with his Father God that even a moment of being away from him would bring him into agony. A moment, like this wasn't going to be a prolonged process. A moment of absence of God's presence was enough to drive this man to his knees. We should probably learn from that, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we could be absent from God for a long time. We're like, oh, you know, I probably ought, to, probably ought to talk to him again. <laughs> you know, Jesus gave us this example, a moment absence from God is a thing that would drive me to my knees. You know what the other thing was? Is he understood what was to come. So you remember, um, we'll read on, but if you've read the story before, you know how he take, says, like, will you take this cup, right? And we, if you could take this cup and, and pass it on so that I don't have to drink out of this cup. So here's what that cup means. So I, I want to make sure that you understand this. So Jesus had explained this, but I want to make sure that we understand it. This cup that he's talking about is the cup of the wrath of God. Okay, this is the cup. Right? So here's what he's teaching from that moment. Every sin that we commit is poured into this cup, right? which is God's wrath. God, this, we need to remember this because I think we forgot it. 
and I think we actually, as a culture, don't understand this, God hates sin. God hates sin. It's not like, well, you know, we're kind of in the new world and everybody sins and all falls short of the glory of God, which is all true, but God hates sin and there is wrath. Whether you want to, like, I don't know if you want to know this about God. God has wrath, right? Now, here's the great thing about it, though. So when we sin, we pour into this cup. So there is this cup of wrath that somebody is going to have to drink, right? Somebody is going to have to take the wrath of God for sin, right? Somebody's going to have to. So at this point, this is the decision for every single person in this room. Jesus is at a place. If he drinks this cup, you know what he's doing? Taking your wrath. Can you imagine that? All of the sin? <laughs> Not just a few of the sins. All of the sins that we've committed poured into a cup and him saying, I will take it for you. I've done nothing wrong, but I will take it for you. That is what he is struggling with, right? And you're saying like, I don't know if I could really understand the wrath of God. I've told people, if you don't understand the wrath of God, watch the passion of Christ. And if you watch the passion of Christ, because the scripture says Jesus beaten beyond all human recognition, this says that in Isaiah, but you don't truly get it until you watch the passion. If you watch the passion of Christ, here's what you're going to know. God hates sin. There is wrath and punishment for sin, and somebody has to drink it. And so Jesus is saying, I know what's coming. <laughs> I know what's coming. I mean, I know that I'm going to have to be strapped to a pole and be beaten with the cat of nine tails. Right? If you, you know, if you don't know what this is, you know, when I was a youth pastor, we took a pig and we hung up a pig in the youth area, which was kind of a challenging thing to do. But we did it and we built a cat of nine tails and we whipped the pig with the cat of nine tails, right? Because I wanted these kids to understand this isn't just like you getting your butt whooped with the belt. Right? The cat of nine tails, when it hits your flesh, digs into your flesh, and when they pull it out, it pulls flesh with it. That's what Jesus... Do what? The pig was dead? Yeah, the pig was dead. <laughs> I never thought to mention that. I don't know how, hanging a live pig up in the youth room. Yeah, the pig was dead. But the point was, if you know what the cat of nine tails does, that when, you, when Jesus was whipped, it would grab flesh and pull it out where to the bones on his back and the, his organs, this was all exposed, right? And we all think, why did he have to be beaten so much? Why did it have to be so gruesome? Why did it have to be so bad? Because God hates sin. God hates sin. There is a wrath for sin Luckily, like Jesus is struggling with this idea. Luckily, we know the end of the story that he chose to drink from that cup. But what he was struggling with is at this point in his life, he's going to be separated from the Father in the worst pain that he could ever experience in his life. Being alone and being beaten beyond human recognition were going to happen. Like that's coming. Now, here's something to learn from. When you are at the deepest depths of your entire life, not only what do you do, who do you do it with, right? Because listen, we know what to do. That's what we've been talking about. You pray, but here's the key. Who do you do it with? 
Because this is the understanding that we cannot miss, right? If you haven't experienced this, you will. You need to surround yourself with people. Because here's the, here, if you want to understand how the plan of Satan works, this is how the plan of Satan works. So Satan knows that if he can isolate you, that he can manipulate you. Okay, now, I want to talk about isolation. There are people that are isolated that are surrounded with people. Isolation isn't just who's around you. Isolation is what happens in your mind to open yourself up to other people. Does that make sense? Like you can be surrounded by people and still be isolated. Like you can still have relationships with people, but still not have the relationships that matter. What Satan knows is, is that the key to get through the Gethsemane prayer, to get through the war, to be able to fight through, is surround yourself with people. That's why, you know, when we do life groups at Life Church, I want you to, I want you to understand this. When we do life groups, life groups aren't just so you can go learn more about the Bible. In fact, I've said this all the time, and I don't want you to take this wrong, but you know part of the problem with life groups is, is that you go just for knowledge, and you don't build relationships, so now you have more knowledge than you'll never do in your entire life. Like you know more about the Bible than you would ever do. The key to life groups working is this whole idea. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, could he went alone? Yeah, like he could have went alone, but he chose not to go alone. Why? Because he was teaching a principle, right? Personally, he needed people around him. That's what he needed. He needed people around him because anybody that's hurting, whether a person says anything or not, just having somebody's presence there matters. That's something for us to learn. We don't have to have the right words. You don't have to say the right Bible verses. Being with somebody in a room without saying a word for people that are hurting is all they need. You don't have to have the right word. You don't have to say the right prayer. Your presence, Jesus was teaching that he needed the presence of his disciples. And you know what the other thing that he was teaching his disciples? If you ever want to win this war, you're going to have to open yourself up and your hurt up to other people. Because Jesus, again, this wasn't no like... uh, hey, God, I just want to pray to you, you know, a little bit stressed out about dying tomorrow and if you can change it. No, this was Jesus on his knees weeping in front of his brothers. He had opened himself up to this idea, like, I'm hurting, you need to see it. Right? Like, you need to know that I'm hurting. You need to know that these are the things going on because if you're going to go to war together, just like that, you can be in a group, but if you never open up yourself to people inside of the group, you've missed the point, right? Like if you never surround yourself with people, because I'm not, so guys, don't worry. I know some of you are worried that if you have to get in a group and you have to stand up and say, hey, my name is Mike and these are all my problems, right? That's not the way it works. But here's what I'll guarantee you. If you commit yourself to a life group with people, over time, you'll have one or two that you will pull off to the side after group and say, I'm hurting. I need you. Can you walk with me? Can you pray with me? Here's the other thing. Remember this about uh, the idea of doing life together. 
Because I, I, I want to give you this analogy, because to me, this is that some of you are thinking, well, I don't really need it, and I'm not really hurting. So let me give you another analogy that's really important. For somebody who's been through some of these things, who is a, like, I don't need any help type of a person, let me t- give you the analogy like this. So it's like you being in a basement. So if your basement's completely dry and you're walking around, your, your basement's completely okay, you know, and then you, you know, get a rain and you get just one little small leak, right? So the natural tendency is, is you just go and you plug the leak, right? And you're over here plugging a leak and then all of a sudden over here, the basement starts leaking again, you plug a leak. This is how we live life, guys, right? Like we just fix, we fix all of our problems and we go over here and we fix all these problems. When you get to this prayer of Gethsemane problem, you got too many leaks to fix. You can't fix them all. You don't have enough fingers. You don't have enough arms. You don't have the ability. But if you've surrounded yourself with the right people, guess what they're going to do? They're going to be in your basement plugging those holes. Right? They're going to be in that basement. They're, they're not going to say anything. They're just going to put their finger there and say, I got you. I got you. Right? There's going to be somebody over there. I got you. Like, you don't need to have anything special. You just need to know. And it will happen, believe me. If you've done this right, it will happen naturally. It'll just happen naturally. When something happens in your life, the people are just going to show up and start plugging the holes because that's how it works. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Gethsemane prayer. If you want to win the war, if you want to win the battle against Satan trying to get you off track with this thing that's happening in your life, surround yourself with the right people. Open yourself up to the right people. Allow them to see your pain and then walk that journey with them. It doesn't fix everything but it helps in the process of moving forward. All right, so then he goes on in uh, verse 41. So he talks about, again, uh, what, what he does when he gets there. And then in verse 41, he says, and then he withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, and he knelt down and he prayed. Now, kind of hard to see this, but if you had your Bible, you would want to underline the part of knelt down because the normal posture of prayer back then was to stand up. Right? Like at times that they would kneel, but the normal posture was you would pray standing up. So when it says that Jesus knelt down, it's trying to give you this picture that Jesus was on the ground, knowing all of the things to come, on his knees, weeping and wailing. Right? Like he was at a place in his life where the kneeling is supposed to give us this picture of like the gravity of the situation has driven me to my knees. Right? That's what he's trying to give you the picture of. The gravity of the situation has driven me to my knees. And so think about this. If you knew all of the things that Jesus knew was coming in the next day, all of your friends who were going to leave, the amount of, that you were going to be tortured, the pain that you were going to suffer on the cross, that you were going to watch your mother right in front of you, you know, watch you die, like those types of things, would you not be driven to your knees? You see, and part of our problem today is, is that we are never driven to our knees, right? And I want you to think about this. If you're going to win the war, you need to understand the perspective because if you understand the perspective, you might spend a lot of time on your knees, See, if you knew today, just like when we do the, you know, the baby dedication for Ruby today, if you knew the plans of Satan to destroy her someday, you would be in your knees. There wouldn't be any doubt. If you knew the desolation of what Satan's trying to do to our kids today, you would be on your knees weeping and warring over what's going on. You wouldn't be just like, well, I pray she has a good day. 
preschool's good, and right? Like, I mean, we need to pray all those things, but you also need to go to war because there is a war going on. If you knew the desolation, if you could see, like if God gave you a picture into the future, and you could see that if you don't change some things in your marriage or change some things in your life, and he gave you a picture of what's to come, and that what's to come isn't so pretty, I bet you'd be on your knees. Like if you don't change some of these things in the future, I bet you would be on your knees because we need to get to a place where we understand the gravity of the situation. That's what I want us to learn in this this prayer where we're warring. The gravity of the situation will drive you to your knees. And if you're not on your knees on a regular basis, it might be because we don't understand the gravity and the war that's going on. So we need to see the gravity of the situation so that we can be uh, in those in prayer. And and we can do that by understanding the perspective, but also understand this perspective. God is, and this is the thing that he's going to show us, like through what we see in the Gethsemane prayer, the other part of it is that he will deliver you from it or he will deliver you through it, one of the two. And you understand the difference, right? Some people get just a deliverance from of it, and some of it is he walks us right through it. Right, but one of the two, he's going to be with you when you're on your knees, and he's going to deliver us out of it or through it, but either one of those things is a benefit to us. Then he goes on to this, verse 42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. So this seems, like when we read this, this seems like one of those things like, oh yeah, we just got done praying this, we just got done talking about, hey, Right? We're supposed to be praying as believers, surely God, it's your will and our not, not our will. Right? But I think if you're honest, think about this for a second, I think if you're honest and you've prayed that before, some of you, like me, have said, I think God's will sucks. Amen. Like I prayed and this happened, and if this was your will, I think this is terrible. Like, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. This isn't the way that it's supposed to go. And so what I, want you, what I want you to hear is this understanding that when he's praying, that it's just not this nonchalant prayer of like, God, your will be done. Like, because we have to recognize, and this is something that, that grew on me. This is something that happened with me clear back to um, when my mom died, still at the point trying to figure out my faith back then. But when my mom died, like this idea of like God fixing things just got completely derailed because I didn't have a really great relationship with my mom and then it had just come back and it was getting really good and we were over there on a Sunday night. You ever have these things like you're over there on a Sunday night and then she died on a Monday morning and you just wish you would have hugged her and said, you know what I mean? Like you just wish you could go back to that moment because you just want that moment back so much and like, God, I just... Can you just give us one more day? I mean, one more day, what I've been able to. And so it started this journey of like, I'm praying for people, but I'm just, I want to be honest with you. I've prayed for a lot of people. And I said like, God, heal them. God, change it. God, do, you know. But at the end of the day, like the, the, the crazy part of it is, is that he didn't. What do you do with that, right? Like, what do you do when, You want God to change things, right? And his will, right, was done, but it's a hard pill to swallow. And so how do you go on praying? Anybody? 
Like when you prayed and it didn't change, and then you're like, what are you supposed to do? Because if, there's, if it doesn't change anything, how am I supposed to pray or how am I supposed to move forward? But did you see in this scripture, this is really important. When we read it, remember it says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. Did Jesus know the will of God before he ever prayed? And the will was for him to go to the cross. The will was for him to, to be killed. The will was that he would raise from... But did it stop him from pleading with the Father? No. Right? And this is where I've landed. Every single person I ever pray with, regardless of what the outcome of the doctor says, regardless of the situation in their marriage, regardless of the things that people have said about, I am still praying, God... <laughs> For sure, I want your will be done, but I want you to heal that person and them to get up. I want you to change that person, and I'm going to plead to you, God, as if my life depends on it for that person to get out of that hospital bed, for that person who the doctor said is going to die, for you to sudden all of a sudden see a miracle. I'm still pleading because Jesus did. I'm going to just do what he did. I'm going to plead as if the things are going to change. And if God chooses not to, right, then yeah, it's his will. But this is the other important part, okay? It's not only accepting his will, but it's walking in his will. This is so important. Listen to me. I know for a lot of us, we've talked about this idea. Well, I guess I just got to accept God's will. Well, I want to give you the instance, just I was talking about earlier, you know, with Sherry. So when Sherry died, there's this thing inside of you, right? So you got to, like, you got to process this thing inside of you that this is God's will. <laughs> it's for anybody that's lost anybody. You know what I mean? Like, you got to process inside of you, like, this is God's will, even though it doesn't make any sense. See, this is God's will, but then for the next month... All I did is not walk in his will, but try to go back and change the situation by rebuilding my life into what I wanted it to be. Because I didn't, at, my, at the stage of my life, I was like, listen, I don't want this, I want this. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to fix this. And I'm, I want it to be like I want it to be, right? I want my will, not your will. Is that making any sense, right? Like I want it the way I want it to be. I had to make a decision, right? And this was a big moment of my life. I had to make a decision, if it is true, that God sees things that I will never see, that God knows things that I will never understand, and that God wants what's best for me, then walking in his will will give me opportunities that I will never have by trying to rebuild and have my own will. I'm not saying it's easy, right? Like, I'm not trying to make this an easy thing, but I am telling you there is a reality that when tragedy happens in your life or things happen in your life, you have to make a decision. Am I going to walk on into the will that God has for me or am I going to stand at the crossroads and try to look back and want what I can never have? Right? Like, you're going to look back and you're going to want what you could never get again or you can look forward and say, but this is what God has for me. And when you walk into that, it not only builds your faith, because God shows up in ways that he can't show up when you're trying to rebuild your own will, when you're trying to rebuild your own life, when you're trying to get back what you'll never get back. When you walk forward, God does something in your life that you cannot do on your own. 
And not only that, the thing that it does and the thing that he's trying to teach us is like you can plead, but at the end of the day, when we accept God's will and we walk in God's will, God is honored. Not easy. It's not, I mean, again, it's still difficult to walk down these roads, but people see God when we walk in his will, even though his will is not something that we wanted. Right? They're going to see those, and you're going to see God do things that he can only do by uh, walking in those places. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So the first thing that Luke does that you don't see in the other Gospels, because Luke was a doctor, Luke identifies something that helps solidify for each one of us just how stressed out Jesus was. He, there's a medical condition that if your stress level gets to a certain point, it's like to the end of your rope point, that you will actually have blood come out from the pores of your body. Like he's trying to emphasize, like Jesus was in such anxiety, right, that blood was pouring from his pores. But here's the other cool part. This is the other part that Luke records that the other gospels, not all the other gospels do. When he was at the point of utter end of himself, what shows up? An angel. Isn't that cool? Right, a ministering angel shows up when he was at the end of himself, right? And, and I think, and I, I want to read to you, I don't have it on the screen. You can go back and look at it. Matthew 18.10 says, Watch that you do not treat a single one of these childlike believers arrogantly. You realize, don't you, that their personal angels are constantly in touch with my Father in heaven. <laughs> Come on. Like you have a personal angel on your behalf, ministering for you, fighting when you don't know what to do. Like I get this picture that when you're on your knees and you don't know what to say and you're on your knees and you're broken and when you're on your knees and you can't look up, that your ministering angel is looking up for you. Your ministering angel is standing over you. Your ministering angel is giving you what you need and what God needs from you. Come on, that ought to get you some excitement, right? Like that right there is something that ought to just, for each one of us to know you will, like I know I'll never be alone, but scripture telling you, you're never gonna be alone. And not only are you not gonna be alone, you're gonna have an angel ministering to you. Well, I think it's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like those things are gonna happen. And, and again, the other thing I think we need to address, so in this, like he gives you this picture, get to the end of yourself, you're never going to be alone, I'm never going to leave you, forsake you, you're going to have the Holy Spirit living in you, but you're also going to have this, this angel that's going to be over you. I think we need to address the elephant in the room, because I think this is kind of a funny thing that people talk about. So he brings the disciples in, remember we talked about that in the beginning, so he brings his disciples in to be a part of the journey, right? He shares with them, think about it, he just shares with them, hey, I'm dying tomorrow. You're going to betray me tomorrow. You're going to scatter tomorrow. And then they all come out. And then all of the scripture says is that they what? They fell asleep. You know, and I'm thinking, well, is it because, you know, I'm not much of a night guy either. Two o'clock in the morning, man, I don't know how I'm staying up. Right? Like, were they just lazy? Were they tired from the day? What was going on with these guys that all of a sudden they can't stay awake? 
right? They can't be in the moment. Well, here's what I want you to see. So worship team, you guys can come back up. I want to get you this picture. Here's the picture. Does it, does, when you read it, it says that they were falling asleep because of their sorrow. Here's what I want you to know. There are going to be some things in your life where you will cry yourself to sleep. It is just a reality. There are some moments in life that words run out and tears just flow. Anybody? You know what I mean? Like, it just, I don't have any more words for this. What's going on in my life right now? I can't even talk about it. All I know, I can cry. Like, I can know. Like, these disciples are like, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, Jesus, our leader, is going to be gone. He says, I'm going to betray him. Like, I can do nothing but weep. And when you weep that long, when you put yourself in that position, you are just out of energy. But here's the key. Here's what I want you to see. You see, it's not the disciples falling asleep. But for that matter, it's not even just about them crying themselves to sleep. It's your response when you wake up. You see, because the battle, here's the battle, listen to me. So the battle that Satan wants to win with you, does he want you to cry yourself to sleep? He wants you to get to those places where the emotions are overwhelming. And again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be overwhelming, but he wants you to get to the place where the emotions are so overwhelming that when you wake up, you wake up with an indifference. You see, the war that Satan's going to win is you'd be, the situation is just, you've cried. I mean, this isn't just one night. You've cried night over night over night over your situation and the things that are going on, and you've just woke up and said, I'm done. I'm indifferent. Nothing ever changes. Nothing gets better. Nothing's ever going to be. Why do this? Because it's all the same. It's all sorrow. It's all pain. It's all, you know, problems. Like it's never going to be. You just have this indifference that develops inside of you. And, and what he was trying to give you this picture of is, is that he says, don't fall asleep lest you get into temptation. Right? The temptation that the thing that Satan's going to try to do is just try to keep you to, in a place of indifference. Not that you're asleep mentally, like actually asleep, but you're asleep spiritually because you've just given up. You've just given up on the whole process because the pain was too great and the loss was too much and Satan's just trying to say, like, just stay asleep and God's saying, wake up, wake up. The pain is still going to be there. The pain's going to, you know, you're still going to go through the pain, but when you wake up, you're winning. When you wake up and you take a step, you're winning. When you wake up and you show, to show up to church, you're winning. When you wake up and you read your Bible, you're winning. When you wake up and you say one prayer, when you wake up and you get on your knees, Satan is losing and God is winning. And that's what he's saying. Just wake up. Just wake up and let me do my part. We stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just love you. We know this war, this Gethsemane prayer is just a war prayer, Lord. And I pray that we, as your warriors, will raise up. We'll either be in the lives of those people that need us to come alongside of them, to, to war with them. Lord, that we'll be reminded today, Lord, that you are with us, never forsaking us, never leaving us.
Lord, we will be aware and understand, like, listen, we know the enemy is at hand. We're going to wake up. We're not going to fall asleep. We're no longer going to be indifferent. We're no longer going to be, well, whatever it is, we're going to be like pleading, God, change things. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.